Welcome to the Voices of Young People podcast, brought to you by Springtide Research Institute. In each episode, we hear directly from young people as they respond to our research and share about the issues impacting their lives. As sociologists and researchers, we see a new story unfolding for young people, one that moves beyond traditional institutional boundaries and requires careful attention to the inner and outer lives of emerging generations. At the intersection of being and becoming, it's the voices of young people. For me, it kind of feels like I want to be consistent and I want to be the same person that I am when I'm at home. I want to be that person in every circle that I'm interacting with. And so I, I would hope that each environment that I'm in allows me to be that person. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Voices of Young People podcast. This is the second season. All season, we're digging into each chapter of our newest book, Meaning Making, Eight Values That Drive America's Newest Generation, so we can begin to get some sense directly from young people about how these values show up in their lives. We know they're important. We've seen the data. We've, we've got all, you know, the book is full of action items and, and case studies from organizations about how you can how you can put this stuff into practice and why you should be thinking about it as as you think towards the future of your organization but this present these podcasts are really an opportunity to to hear directly from the voices of young people and with that today we'll be talking about how to why the it's so important to live what is considered a meaningful life and and not just sort of go through the motions and we've got JC with us JC why don't you introduce yourself Hi my name is JC I am a 21 year old girl from Kansas currently living in Kansas City I just finished my senior year of undergrad with a degree in psychology and sociology and in August I will be starting a master's program um, in school counseling that's amazing. The most amazing part of that, of course, is that you were majoring in sociology, which is, which is you know, the best degree to get. Uh, we've, we've had one other sociologist on the program, and I just make a point of, of highlighting when, uh, you know, whenever we've got sociologists in the room, because, you know, that's, that's my field. Um, you're going to graduate in August? You're going to go, are you going to start right into your master's program? Yeah, my graduation got pushed because of COVID. Um, so it was supposed to be in May, but they have tentatively rescheduled it for August. And then my grad program starts two weeks after that. And what does graduate school look like for you in the fall? Is it going to be online or will you be back in person? Um, they have released nothing. So at this point, I have no answer. <laughs> <laughs> no guidance. You're just sort of preparing for everything. Yep. Yep. But give the listeners a little bit of a sense. Like that's not the school is not the only thing that you're doing. I mean, you, you are a very busy person. Yeah, I so this summer I'm I'm working a couple of different jobs. I'm nannying full time for um, two little girls. They're seven and nine, and then um, I also work at a local um, frozen custard place. That's um, it's a it's a franchise, but it's dearly beloved to native Kansas Cityans. And um, yeah, I I think I work somewhere between fifty to fifty eight hours a week. Um, and I also have an eight-month-old puppy, and I have some pretty great roommates that I spend a lot of time with. So, what kind of a puppy do you a have? A golden retriever. What possessed you to get a dog in the middle of all doing all that stuff? Um, he was a gift. So yeah, but, uh, I'm I'm sort of pot calling the kettle black. We just got a new dog uh, <laughs> to sort of alleviate the stress of my son being cooped up in the house all the time. So now he has a dog to be cooped up with. Um, 
Well, Tracy, the it's it's a it's amazing to me how we've been listening to these stories of young people, and in many cases, you know, they're balancing a lot of the same things that, that you're talking about, like not just job, but jobs, uh, plural, and school, um, and and yet they're doing so in a way that like their lives could be easier. Like your life could be easier. You could have majored in like one very simple thing and you could be going to get a job that pays one pay, but you, you're doing this all in pursuit um, to be a school counselor, which is, which is a very noble thing to do. So tell, t- help us understand why, you know, why those sacrifices of, you know, working to put yourself through school and balance all of this stuff. Why, why is that important to you and how does it fit in for you? Um, well, when I started my undergrad as a freshman, I came in like undecided. I hadn't declared a major. I had no idea what direction I wanted to go in. Um, I knew that I wanted to choose a vocation that allowed me to help people, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, and Mid-America, the, the school I go to, has a really um, well-recognized counseling program. And so I was taking some some introductory psych classes my freshman year, and they were taught by um, professors who also teach in the master's program. And so I had a couple like sit down meetings with them my freshman year, and just some some really good conversations about what work looks like for them t- day to day. And I also have an older sister who's a school counselor, so I um, you know when I started thinking about that profession and like what it would look like for me, I had um, some conversations with her just about. Um, what life looks like in a school with kids every day um, as a counselor. And um, just feel, I I was feeling, I still do, but feel very motivated to, um, to work with kids in this aspect as a, as a therapist, as a counselor, because um, it's hard as adults to process emotions and to verbalize what we're feeling and what we're thinking. And it's even harder for kids because if it's hard for us, they don't have the proper tools to do that. And so um, it's just really meaningful. I have several memories of being young and having someone come alongside of me and just recognize where I was at in that moment and what I was feeling and what it felt like whenever my emotions weren't just dismissed due to my age. And um, that's something that I I feel really motivated to kind of give back. And um, I have high hopes of coming alongside children who are walking through, you know, difficult things or challenging things and, and being able to, um, just be beside them during that and hopefully help them to process and and handle what they're, what they're dealing with. And I think I've chosen school counseling specifically because I feel like it will equip me to do that and to uh, make a difference in, in the lives of young people. And, um, yeah. That's a that's that's such a mature and well thought out answer. I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of um, uh, like really important guides, mm-hmm. you know, for you when when you were younger. And and I want to hear more about that. But just to underscore that, like when I to underscore your point about being able to like the importance and the gift of being able to do that kind of work for somebody and how meaningful that can be is the I, I didn't get into being a professor in in, in academia because because of that, like my interests were, it's not like I was opposed to making a difference in the lives of young people, but my interests were other. But but as it turns out, like the most important things as I look back on my career so far have been those moments when students have reached back out to me either during the semester, but usually afterwards and, and tell me how, you know, oh, that thing, 
that we taught, you know, that, that class in the middle of March when it seemed like everybody was checked out. Like I remember exactly what you said and it was so important for me to hear that thing at that time. And it's just like, it's mind blowing the impact that you can have as a counselor or a teacher in that role. And um, just want to really affirm that because it's that I think, I think it will get you what, you know, you're trying for those adults, like those professors who sat down and talked with you, you know, siblings in the field and other people, what do those conversations look like? I mean, you're, you're sort of out there saying like, I want to, I want to, give back in some way to this world um how are they helping to shape and guide those into like an actual job and profession for you um most recently i um had a really long conversation with my sister-in-law who's a school counselor in colorado and she um i was just talking to her about what her job has looked like since covid um and she was sharing with me to the extent that she could she was talking about um just how, how deeply affected her students have been by, um, losing, losing the school, um, Mm. the environment of the school where they had friends and they had social interactions outside their family. And now they're home, um, you know, in a really different environment with siblings or without siblings or with parents who are home all day. And everyone's like adjusting to this new, um, this new period of life. And just listening to my sister-in-law talk about that and, um, share what that's like um meant a lot to me because it it made me recognize that school counseling is so much more than just being in a school every day and like you know sharing reading stories to kids or doing a little lesson plans it's so much deeper than that it's um you know she's literally now she's a school counselor but at home she's she's on FaceTime mm. videos with them in their home helping them deal with not just issues that they were having at school, but now issues that they're having at home. And so I feel like, um, it just made that way more real for me that it's, um, multidimensional. It's not just at school and it's, it's deeper than, um, the academic setting. And so being able to talk with her and like, listen to how, um, school counseling is, is deeper than, deeper than a school setting for her meant a lot to me. And I feel like it's something that I'll, I'm, I'm excited to implement. Yeah, that's, uh, that's such a really interesting way of thinking about the, that multi-dimensionality, the, the, whatever, the multifaceted, let's call it multifaceted nature of doing that kind of work um, that even, even sometimes I would imagine like in the course of doing one thing, you're actually doing something that's even, that's deeper. So you may be reading stories to kids, but at the same time, you're also doing like diagnosis or just companionship or building trust. Um, but JC, like you're, you're a smart young woman and lots of like, you could, you could go to law school or you could be like a, you know, go trade stocks on wall street, both of which would make substantially more money than, than this. Where does this impulse to, to, I, I'm, I don't want to hold you up as a martyr by any stretch. You're making, you know, you're, you're an agent of your own life and you're making active decisions that, that you, to pursue the path that you want. Uh, and I totally understand that. But like, where does that come from? Where does this impulse in your life to sort of reach beyond yourself? Do you, do you have a sense of where that might have developed for you? Um, well, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up going to church and grew up in a youth group, going to a youth group that um, placed a lot, a lot of emphasis on having a servant's heart. Mm. So that was something that I um, was able to get to hear about and hear repetitively as I was, um, you know, I started going to that youth group when I was in seventh grade and I went to that youth group when I was a senior in high school. So for several years, I over and over heard this message of like what it looks like to have a servant's heart. And, um, that repetition, I really do think just got embedded in me and, um, 
is something that I, I feel like I want to fulfill in my own life. I want to strive to have a servant's heart. And I also, I'm the youngest of my family. I don't have any younger siblings. I didn't grow up with younger siblings and I always wanted younger siblings. And, (laughs) um, as you know, as a young adult, I have literally always worked as some sort of childcare provider. I've been a nanny for like five different families. I have worked at summer camps geared towards the age groups of two to five. I have worked in daycare centers. I've just babysat on weekend nights. Everything I've done has been geared towards childcare. So I spent so much time around kids, watching them learn and process. And so I think kind of tying that together with like, I want to have a servant's heart. I want to lead a life that allows me to, um, come alongside others and coupling that with, I really like kids and I enjoy spending time with them and I enjoy watching them learn and grow. I love that what you, it's both this like moment of being and becoming when you're like, I want to have a servant's heart right after you list off all the things that you've been doing that clearly demonstrate that you already have that heart. But it's this, but, but it's this idea that it's like, it's a practice, right? That you're always sort of for our real passions in life. Like we're, we're doing those things and we've done those things and we recognize that we can get better at them and we can always live more into them. But it's, it's not like a static, like this is finished. And, and even the way you're talking about like what you plan to do in the future is, so remi- like reminds me so so much of that lesson that you know maybe we don't always think about all the time in the research we did for this chapter you know you're, you're talking about how like your faith life and your work life and your school life and all these things intersect with each other your interests and who you want to be um the there were two statistics that really stood out to me from the survey that we did about this cha- to as in preparation for this chapter one is that nearly half of young people told us that um, any work that they're doing is not worth doing if it has if it doesn't have meaning. So if it doesn't like advance them or their mission in life personally, that it's not worth doing at all. Like so, if it's just for example, in other words, the other way to interpret this is if it's just for a paycheck, they would rather not even do it. Super interesting. And then the other one is that sixty five percent of respondents told us that it's important for the organizations that they participate in to provide opportunities for them to clarify, articulate, and act on their personal mission in life. So that there's not this segmentation, in other words, of like, I do religion work at church, and I do like personal interest work after work, you know, after my paid work, when I'm doing my hobbies, and I do my for pay work over at that organization from nine to five, that it's all sort of like blending together. Is, is that overlap? Like, do you expect that from the places and the, and the kind of choices that you're making that it's going to allow you to sort of mesh all of those things? Yeah, I do. I think, I think that for me, it kind of feels like I want to be consistent and I want to be the same person that I am when I'm at home. I want to be that person in every circle that I'm interacting with. And so I, I would hope that each environment that I'm in allows me to be that person. And I have some control over the environments that I'm in, obviously, because I'm picking school. I'm picking the school that I go to. I'm picking the jobs that I do. And, and I'm picking and choosing my friends. And so like those environments, I would hope that I would be consistently me in each one of them. And so in order for that to happen, the environment needs to have some sort of the same values that I am seeking out in each. Does that make sense in each? Yeah. 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 That makes total sense. The, um, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm starting up, say, um, you know, let me, let me back up and say, 
you you have a clear interest with with kids, with young kids, and working with them in a variety of settings. But there, you could do that at any number of places. And and after you, especially after you get your master's degree, you're going to be in high demand. So, like, how does an organization win you and get you get like you know get JC to say like, oh, that's I'm going to apply there and I'm going to really try and get that job. What do they have to do to try and to try and get you to apply with them? Um, can I share a story of a job that I currently have in one? Perfect. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so the frozen custard place that I work at, not only yeah. does it serve amazing custard, and if you live in the Kansas City area, you should come and get some because it's so good. But it's not ice cream. It's not ice cream. It is not ice cream. Okay. Frozen custard. I'm frozen custard. Yes. Um, they also have, so the, my manager at the location that I work at, he works alongside of us. So he's, you know, there on, on several shifts that I've worked, not every shift, but he's there, you know, most of the time. And he comes in every day and not only is he working alongside of us, um, you know, like he's making, he's making treats, he's restocking toppings, he's waiting on customers, he's cleaning, he's doing all the things that we're doing alongside of us. But he's also really intentional about um, having a conversation with each person that's working on the shift. And so he'll, hmm. at some point, it may just be like a 30 minute conversation or a two minute conversation because it's really busy. Um, but he, at some point throughout the shift, will talk to each person. And not only is it just like a hi, how are you conversation, he will, he will remember something about what's going on in your life outside of work, or he'll pull something from another conversation. And that as an employee means so much to me because he's seeing me as a person first before he sees me as an employee. And I just feel like that is so valuable and it motivates all of the employees to work harder because, you know, there's this leader that's coming in and setting an example for this connection. And that just like gives the whole shift energy and like, you know, drives each one of us to, um, be more positive and have a, a bigger smile or be more friendly or try a little harder. And I just think that, um, what he brings to the environment when he is intentional like that is something really valuable and something that I will definitely look for whenever I move on, um, just to be seen and known as an individual and as a person before I'm, before I'm viewed as an employee. It makes something like scooping custard bigger than just like giving dessert to people. Yes. Right. That's a, I mean, if that's not the definition of being meaningful, then I don't know what is that's a, that's a, that's a, such a poignant, small little, like, but important example of a way that you could do that on a, like today, like everybody can do that. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe it's harder for some people to sit and listen if they're not inclined to do that, but you can do it. Everybody can, everybody can listen. Yeah. Um, well, JC, thank you so much. Uh, this is the, that example is such a great way to, to sort of close this out because that, that leaves us with this very tangible like, way that you can like, make a place bigger than what it is or what it might otherwise be. Yeah. Um, so as, as, as much as it is about personal mission and like big, like I want to help kids, it can also be about really small things about like making sure that your employees feel seen and known as an individual, not just as a as, uh, custard scooper. I almost said ice cream scooper. I won't say yeah, that. Yeah, watch it. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Visit springtideresearch.org to hear more voices of young people and purchase our latest book, Meaning Making, Eight Values That Drive America's Newest Generations. 
sign up for our newsletter, and be the first to learn about our upcoming research, including the 2020 State of Religion and Young People report coming out this fall. Today's show was produced by Marta Abuaji and TJ Birnbaum, with original music by high school student Christian Unthank. Special thanks to our guests today and all the young people whose perspectives and insights make our research possible. Remember to find us on social media at We Are Springtide and share your own story with the hashtag showupforyoungpeople. Thanks for listening.